Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Thank you for joining us for this week's AccuWeather podcast, Everything Under the Sun. I'm your host, meteorologist Regina Miller. Heat led the 6 p.m. newscast on most TV sets across the country back in 1988. Here's a flashback to Peter Jennings from ABC's World News Tonight. It wasn't even noon today when the temperature at Sioux Falls in South Dakota was over 100. In Georgia, a woman died from heat stroke while she was working in a tobacco field. There was some rain in Iowa today, which was good for the soybeans. But in some parts of Illinois, there is no moisture available in the top six inches of soil. And here in the Northeast, there has been a break in the heat. It is in the Midwest and the South where the drought and the heat still hold people and animals and the land in their grip. Some estimates are between 4,800 to 17,000 deaths could be attributed to the heat during that summer when the country was plagued by two concurrent heat waves. It led to the North American drought of 1988 in 89, there was significant crop loss by farmers. Andy, we just came off a, a heat wave recently in the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic. That's right, and we're going to be talking about this 1988 heat wave, which had temperatures quite similar to those in the 1930s. And we're going to be joined by meteorologist Dave Dombeck to talk about when he was here at AccuWeather forecasting the historic heat wave that we could say spurred the national discussion on global warming. We'll talk about the significance of it coming up. Well, we have meteorologist Dave Dombeck back in the studio, and Andy and I were talking. How many times do you think we've had it's, Dave? It's like him and times. Evan Myers are the two people with the most appearances I, on I, the I podcast. I got the clicker. It's like, yeah, there's the next one. Notch it in. So we've had you in here so many times, Dave. When did you start forecasting here at AccuWeather? July 28th, 1980. Oh, so that's why we have you in here so often, because who else here has a better track record? Of like the weather that's occurred, <laughs> and just watching these different just, phenomena. Just a time. handful of people here have more uh, more years than I do here. <laughs> right, I think that's why you and uh, Evan are on here the most often. So. Well, congratulations on your anniversary. Thank you. Thank I know you. that's really cool. That's yep. really cool. So, Dave, today we are talking about this heat wave that affected much of the country back in 1988. Mm-hmm. And so right before this podcast, you and I walked out and we were kind of just checking on some of the records that still stand today. Baltimore, for example, on July 16th, 1988, these were all the cities. So Baltimore was 104 Mm -hmm. on July 16th. Uh, Dayton was 102 on the 15th of July. Indianapolis, 103. Chicago was 102 degrees. And Columbus was 100. So all those cities mm-hmm. were over at or over the century mark at that point in time. State College, Pennsylvania, where it's some summers it's tough to get it to 90 on July 16th, 1988. It was 102. Right. It, that was only the second time in my life here in State College that I experienced 100 degrees or higher. Only the second time. Oh, Another wow. time was back in 2011, I believe. Right. And the other thing, too, that we have, like a lot of these states that would have been impacted were also impacted with humidity or not. 
Actually, believe it or not, there was some humidity from time to time, but it was not, you know, what we experienced earlier this summer, some of the tropical rainforest uh, type uh, humidity. It was actually just the opposite. It was more of a dry heat uh, a lot of the times. It was humid, Mm -hmm. but not the excessive, you know, the tropical type humidity. And that's kind of goes into the whole idea of the drier it is, the hotter it's going to be. The hotter it is, the drier it's going to be. The two sort of feed off of each other. And that's why it was not only just heat wave, but it was drought. And that was the really the economic impact was really serious from a, an agricultural standpoint uh, with the crop loss, mm-hmm. corn especially, but other crops as well. And, you know, when you think about this, on any given day when the sun's up and the sun heats the ground and then in turn the ground heats up the air. That's how the temperature rises on Mm -hmm. any given day. That's how it works. And if you have a normal situation or a wetter than normal situation like we had last summer, it was so wet, there's a lot of water to evaporate. Puddles, standing water, uh, just the vegetation being lush and green and really thriving. There's a lot of moisture that, that evaporates off of plants, off of grass and corn and you know trees and so forth so the sun on any given day in any given place you only have so much energy available Mm -hmm. and if some of that energy is going into evaporating water that's less energy that's available to heat the air up Right. But when everything is just dry, the, so it the had more of are, like a Midwest kind of desert kind of um, kind of yeah, it was at times, and it was interesting. Like around here in State College, Central Pennsylvania, I don't know if I'll ever experience this again in my lifetime. Fifteen days, you know how tough it is to get it to ninety in State College right. because of our elevation and so forth. Uh, we had a fifteen-day stretch where it got to ninety or better from July fourth of that year. It wow. kicked in. It was ninety, I think, even that day, uh, up through the eighteenth. 15 days in a row, the hot days were like 95 to 99 with that 102 on the 16th, and the dew points might have been in like the low to mid-60s, so it's humid but not like excessive. The cool days behind cold fronts right. that came through dry with a wind shift and so they kicked never up even, the dust. So the, they never even caused any uh, rainfall when they would be coming no, through? No, they would come through as dry fronts and some clouds, and it looks like it was going to do something, and it just didn't generate anything, but... A wind shift, then a pressure rise, and it kicked up the dust, and that's Mm -hmm. all it did. And so the cool days behind fronts were like 90 to 92 with deep blue skies (laughs) and like 48 to 52 dew points. It was unbelievable, and we had that for a 15-day stretch. That year, if you look at the pattern, that the heat was really intense that first half of July, um, and then it backed off the second half of July, like from the 19th or so to the end of the month. uh, The heat did back off a little. It got a little wetter. But unfortunately, like for the corn crop and things like that, it was a little too little too late to really right. salvage things. And then the heat came roaring back in August, like the first half of August of that year. It got really hot once again. And it was interesting, if you look at what happened, some of the most extreme heat was right there in that, it's like the last gasp of that heat wave up in the northeast. It lasted longer farther south, but right after that broke, it was dramatic because mm-hmm. the patterns, like it flipped the switch And it was almost like it was the end of summer. It got cool. It got wet. Uh, It was just a totally different pattern. It never even, the rest of that summer of 88, it's never, it was like it struggled to even get really warm. It was so weird the way that it just, it broke very dramatically. But like I said, at that point, the corn crop and some, it was just way too late in the game. It was just, everything was cooked and dead. And I mean, I I remember um, 
walking around the grass around here. You didn't have to cut your grass for long stretches that summer. Well, it was probably as soon as you would, the mower would just kick up a bunch of dust. Everybody knows, like, what shredded wheat looks like. I mean, that was like the grass. It was dead. It was crunchy. And that was the grass. Even some trees and bushes that weren't deeply rooted died. It was just unbelievable. And the setup that summer, and a lot of people forget. Everybody remembers the July and the August heat. But people forget that the pattern that set that up was a back-and-forth, a back-and-forth battle in June. You'd have these fronts that would come through, mostly dry, Mm -hmm. little or no rain. These big Canadian highs would build down into the northeastern part of the country. So it would be cool, sometimes unusually chilly for a day or two. Those highs would then get off the southeast coast or the mid-Atlantic coast, Mm -hmm. turn around into a heat pump high. So three days later, it was getting hot. And then you'd repeat the process. So we were back and forth like a roller coaster ride with very little rain. That was the key there. It was dry. Because it's a Canadian. It was Canadian, Canadian origin. High. Yeah, so it's on, a drier. On, on a dry. July 10th, parts of north central Pennsylvania had frost, believe it or not. Or not July 10th, June 10th. Before uh, this all started. Before this all started. There was there was scattered frost on June 10th of 1988. And so, but it was the dryness. That was the key. There. Yeah, because of where it was coming from. Because of where that high was coming from. It's One, so atypical. Yep. Because yep. normally we would expect, you know, the eastern part of the country to be affected by the Bermuda high pushing back westward and having some moisture wrap around that. But it, this one was coming from the north, so pretty exactly. different phenomenon. And that pattern was so persistent, too. And really the setup was a big ridge, big mm-hmm. sprawling ridge. It covered a good chunk of the country, pretty much from like the east slopes of the Rockies out through the plains all, all the way to the east coast. Very sprawling high. And the, the source region of the air, much of the time, was not the Gulf of Mexico. It was continental air that was coming down through the Canadian prairies, through the northern plains, the Great Lakes. So the it's landlocked. <laughs> it was land right exactly. Right. It was more of a, a continental type flow, and so the Gulf of Mexico, we use the term, it was shut off. We mm-hmm. shut the Gulf off for long stretches of time, and so you didn't have the really high dew points. You didn't have the source of moisture, and these fronts were coming through dry or very little, a skinny little line of broken showers and that was or thunderstorms and that was all that was happening so right. that was the setup for a lot of the time that summer and that's why the the dryness and again one thing fed on the other the dryness fed the heat the heat fed the the dryness the hotter it is the more you're going to evaporate mm-hmm. you know and, right. and so it was just the, the whole thing fed on itself and speaking of you uh mentioning about the dryness and how fronts had come through dry you know some of the worst dust storms since the dust bowl were occurring during this particular event that's right and so um we do have some sound from that there's the sun right there it's all covered in dust Clouds of the skies for this dust, whatever. It's pretty strange. Now, every time there's some kind of weird weather phenomenon, like Twitter has videos everywhere. But back in 1988, I mean, how many people had a video camera? But this guy in Kansas just happened to uh, capture it on video camera. But tell me about how big was this? How many states were really impacted by this? I mean, if you counted them up, it was basically that chunk of territory from. You know, Denver, and especially as you get on into the high plains of, you know, Kansas, Nebraska, down to Oklahoma, all the way to the Dakotas, and on eastward, right to the east coast. New England got into some of that at times. Far northeast New England, you get up into Maine and that, they were sort of on the edge of that. Um, They had a few bouts where it did get 
hot, pretty hot, and, and so forth. But the extreme heat was more southwest New England and on west and south from there. I guess if you had the core, uh, where the anomalies, where the departures from normal were the greatest, would be that area from like Madison, Chicago, Indianapolis, into Ohio, kind of western, central Pennsylvania, into the mid-Atlantic, like Philly, D.C., Baltimore, Richmond. That slice of territory was probably where uh, the epicenter of the extreme. And also, you know, as far north as uh, maybe even up into Minneapolis, uh, St. Paul area, uh, Detroit, got into that too so it was really that area where that was like the bullseye of it but it it was very very large territory yeah uh, the country that was affected by that well um so tell me about some of the extremes like um what what was the impact like some of the stories that came out of this i remember um during that stretch uh, and we were forecasting whether it was on radio whether we were doing newspaper forecasts any clients that we were you know trying to figure out the wording in our forecasts and so let's say we had a, a case where a front would go through, probably dry or very little, and it was going to be a beautiful day the next day, very right. warm to hot, but low humidity and everything. We would purposely avoid using terms like nice or pleasant because here farmers were like their livelihoods were getting burned up right. in the field. There no rain. Their crops were dead or dying. And so we made sure that we were very sensitive to that. Any places that were in that drought, in the heat wave, the drought especially, that we didn't use descriptive terms that would... Be like it would make it seem like it was less of a an issue because, right. you know, it really was. Because, I you know, I saw an article in the New York Times at that point in time that in Iowa, the drought destroyed 45% of the nation's corn crops. Wow. And caused a loss of more than $10 billion, and then thousands of farmers mm-hmm. were out of business as a result of that. So, yeah. you know, it was really impacting farming there in the nation's heartland. And you had mentioned corn around here, like how it looked so weird. Yeah, I mean, it really looked sickly in some of the fields around here. Remember, if, if you could kind of just picture what a pineapple plant looks like. Right, where it's like just like you, you got just, a couple of leaves at the bottom like, and then just a just, big old... Stop nothing in the right no no height to it and this like curly thing that just you know the leaves sort of the, the stalks sort of curl up and mm-hmm. very little height to them a lot of corn uh corn stalks they never really got the the ear of corn on them or if they did they were stunted very much with corn i remember i mean i'm certainly far from being an expert in agriculture but i do know i mean i have a garden so i know this as a principle it's common sense that the bigger the plant is, it's able to shade the ground. So if you could get through that critical stage, like the early part of the season, early mid-season, once the corn stalks are high enough, they're shading the ground, and if you got enough moisture in there, you could go. It'll retain it. It'll retain It'll the retain moisture it. in there, and you could go a long stretch without getting rain. But that was the problem. That June was so dry, July was so dry, and it was just at a critical time, and the, the corn stalks never got any height to them and never were able to shade the ground. And so they pretty much just sat out in the field and did nothing and shriveled up. And it was it was pretty sad. But, yeah, I, I guess if you could kind of picture what a what a pineapple plant yeah. is, that's, that's kind of what the corn looked like. It was, it was really pretty right. bad shape, yeah. Right. In terms of the drought, there was a lot of places that went days and days and days without precipitation. It says here that uh, in my notes that Milwaukee went almost 55 days without precipitation. Is that correct? I, yes, that is correct, and it, that's and it crazy, varies isn't from. It? But that's yeah. just yeah for this part of the country that would be you know in the desert southwest or something. Right. That's but we're not talking. We're but talking Milwaukee, the Wisconsin, Midwest. you wouldn't think the like, upper yeah. Midwest, fifty-five right. days without rain. It's yeah. like some summers, like you can't go 
55 minutes without <laughs> without a shower thunderstorm popping up, right. let alone, you know, It's pretty much every days. afternoon. It's right, fire right. Up. Yep. So one of the other things, one of the big things I think that was a result of this, uh, this heat wave was not only droughts, but also wildfires. Right. Uh, absolutely. Uh, when you have it that dry and the, the trees, the bushes, the grass... All that stuff is like tinder dry. Like I said, I, I described it as, you know, shredded walking wheat. on shredded wheat, mm-hmm. uh, crunching everything. All you have to do is just get somebody being careless with a campfire or burning. Even like a strike of lightning, maybe? Strike of lightning, absolutely. You're actually yes. creating the same kind of weather pattern you have in the southwest mm-hmm. and just pushing it to the east. To the you know? east, yeah. So just such a strange anomaly. So it almost is kind of... Um, kind of almost similar to what happened like in in california kind of like with how it was like a tinderbox it, it was a tinderbox right and and there was not only that but you also had days where there was a nice pretty good breeze blowing which you don't normally don't get much of a breeze on mm-hmm. summer day but this was a pattern where at times you would get pretty breezy and so here you just started a wildfire somewhere and now you've got you've got winds maybe not to the extent of the santa Ana winds but you had enough breeze that you know they had to deal with that as well mm-hmm. and i know from a from a forecasting standpoint trying to hit the high temperatures day by day by day and of course we had way way less guidance computer guidance models that we than we do today and that's mm-hmm. that's a, just a known entity but what we did do and the guidance that we did have at the time what we would do for any given spot let's say we're forecasting for state college pennsylvania or philadelphia wherever and so we would say, okay, the predicted high on the models tomorrow is 95. Now, the models have been busting by because three or the- four degrees because they're not factoring in how dry it is. And, and you look on the, what we call the MOS numbers and say, well, at 1 o'clock today or 2 o'clock today, it's supposed to be, you know, 92, and it's already 96. So you had to adjust. You had to say, okay, this is what the guidance says. We're going to add 4 or 5 on top of that. Right. And most of the time we were pretty close on right. those numbers because the numbers were not catching up to they the don't, dryness. Yeah, they, they don't, don't factor the, that in, yeah, the extreme dryness. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I thought it was interesting, too, that, that out of this, and I don't know if you remember this, I was in college in the 80s. I remember writing a paper on it, you know. so was a young pup. But I was a young pup. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I remember, you know, out of this heat wave is when you first – started hearing about the greenhouse effect, mm-hmm. you know, because Dr. James Hansen, he was an atmospheric physicist, he appeared before Congress in 1988, mm-hmm. and he talked about the greenhouse effect, really for the first time bringing some national attention mm-hmm. to it. And I thought it was interesting what he did because he created some dice out of, like, cardboard, mm-hmm. and he used one die and he had it represent like 1950 to 1980. And he had it so that like the six sides, two sides were white for an average summer, two sides were blue for a cooler summer, and two sides were red for a, a hotter summer. Hmm. So he said like up until this point, it'd be a roll of the dice roll and you would dice. have equal chances on all these. Yep. So then he created another dice, which <laughs> I, it was <laughs> funny because this is how he's explaining it to Congress. <laughs> but he created another die that had six sides and he said that, it would represent from 1980 through the 90s. And he said the chance would increase to 55 to 80%. So he made four sides of the dice red. Right, wow. So that, yeah. like, just rolling the dice, your chances of getting mm-hmm. hotter and hotter summers were going to be more likely. And mm-hmm. that's when it really, because I, I remember I had to write a paper on chlorofluorocarbons mm-hmm. and, and the greenhouse impact. Oh, but wow. it really yeah. kind of, out of this heat wave, 
started a national conversation, Mm -hmm. I think, more than it had been in the past. But the other thing I I wondered about is, so Dave, cities now, like you'll have a heat emergency declared by a Mm -hmm. mayor or something. We had that just recently. And they'll have cooling centers. Do you remember if that was happening back at that time? Like, did they do that kind of stuff? I don't think to the degree that they do today, not nearly. And I think that 88 was a big year that sort of, you know, really started getting people more aware of that. Authorities. Um, 95, of course, that was a horrible heat wave in Chicago and right. where people died. And so I think it's from that late 80s into the 90s, some of the other heat waves we had, the mid-90s. Things really have changed. Not saying that they didn't do it, but there was I think there was a lot less awareness of it and, and proactive right. things that municipalities and cities and so forth. To prepare, prepare. because like with the cooling centers and stuff, I remember hearing about 1995, for example, Mm -hmm. that in Chicago, I think the the morgue, there was so many people, they had to put like ice trucks or refrigerated trucks, they had to put people's bodies in because of the fact that people were dying and they couldn't even put them all in the morgues at the time. So like I think cities became more Mm -hmm. and more aware of the issues, but you know, heat-related deaths. And the other thing I was thinking of is, I don't know about you. Did you have a car with air conditioning? Because that wasn't as common either. Uh, no. <laughs> That's what I mean. Do you no. remember? Like a lot of the yeah. cars in the 80s, That's a we good didn't point. have air yeah. conditioning. Nope. So if Roll you down had, the windows. Roll down the windows, which is like yep. you were in an oven. Because I remember we didn't have air conditioning. It wasn't so common even for people to have central air, right. I don't think. Was it mainly just like window units or just box fans? Or? Yeah, a lot. Well, yeah. I remember like that was a big issue back box in the fans, 1980s. Sure, yeah. Box fans. But, you know, I remember reading about or finding out about people being out trying to get air conditioning. Because... It wasn't common in, right. in houses the way it is today. That's a Definitely point. wasn't in cars because I remember those nope. <laughs> big old heavy metal cars, yep. you know, back in the 80s or, you know, like mine was a, like an old Mazda or whatever. But what well, was a new Mazda at the time it was an old one later, but no air conditioning. So you'd roll down the window. So if you had to do anything outside, it was like having a blowtorch on, yep. like <laughs> even if you're reaching speeds of 55, <laughs> you know, so you really couldn't do anything outside. It's funny that you mentioned that because my mom actually did have a Mazda with no air conditioning. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, you, you know, I don't know. Back then, it was a luxury. Now, it's like, who got, buys a car without air conditioning? But back then, Do they even sell cars without air conditioning I don't know. Anymore? Do they? I don't think so. I don't so know. So, you're like, I don't want that. <laughs> right. <laughs> even my 2010 Tacoma uh, truck, and it's a basic bare box stick shift and crank windows, that has air conditioning, and it's got good air conditioning. Right. And that's a basic box in, in 2010, you know, so, yeah. But it didn't back then. <laughs> and so when you think about the heat then, when you're talking about cities like Chicago, where you might be sitting in traffic with no air conditioning, mm-hmm. yeah. can you imagine even just going to work if you're like an hour out in the car or driving home in the uh, afternoon. At least if you're driving down the highway, you've got that, uh, yeah, that right. cool 100-degree yeah. breeze coming through the window. Oh, it might know. not do much, but <laughs> yep. at least you've got the air's moving, right, yeah. You know, but like, so that would have been something at that time that sure. would have been very different, you That's know? That's a good point. So now it's 2019, looking back from, from 1988. There, there were a lot of fatalities during this heat wave, which is sad and a lot of, as Regina said, a lot of uh, dollars in damages. But in 2019, Dave, when it comes to forecasting things like heat waves of this size and magnitude, how, how have things changed technology-wise and, and other ways? And communicating, yeah, really, and communicating. Dave, too, because, I mean, we have more opportunities to get the message out. Oh, yeah, and, and I think that's huge right there, getting the message 
message out. Maybe there was such a thing as an internet, you know, it would have been big computers in entire rooms. In in 1988, right? Like kind of mid nineties was really the big uh, push for that. So you didn't have that. You didn't have all the social media platforms like we do today. And so, so the, the ability to get that information out and the access to information is so much better uh, and quicker now today than it, than it was back then. And also the guidance, the models. I always say that, of course, you know, we go back to the idea we're almost modeled to death. But, yes, we, we do have so much more information now, and the models have gotten better, and the guidance, and just being able to recognize a pattern like that ahead of time and sort of giving a heads up to cities and municipalities and authorities say, hey, you know, next week, middle and latter part of next week, for example, we're looking at this heat, and it may be more than just your run-of-the-mill heat. So just want to give you a heads up. We'll give you more detail as we get closer to that. And so just the ability to long-range some of this stuff and, and seasonal forecasts that mm-hmm. we do here at AccuWeather. So, yeah, we have much more information uh, and, and much greater capacity to get that information out to the public. So these temperatures, when this happened in the 1988 heat wave, they haven't seen temperatures like that since the 1930s. Again, here we are in 2019. Mm -hmm. Could we see a heat wave stretch like that again? Sure. Absolutely. And Regina and I, just before we started the broadcast, we were looking at some records. And yes, we've had a number of heat waves many times, you know, where we've dealt with heat. This is 31 years ago. And some of those records are still on the books today and wow. so that tells you something when you establish a record like that some of these records that regina yeah that's had, what that, had that mentioned was and they're say. still that's... on the books today yeah. wow um and so yeah we've had a lot of heat since then a lot of hot summers and some of them are still on the, on the books today but sure can something like this happen this type of pattern absolutely no doubt about it patterns are cyclical of course, this summer we've dealt with some more of the very humid, very, very humid yeah, cause, uh, type. Cause, and uh, I don't know, waves. Dave, back at that time, did we even talk about heat indices? You talked about models, but then also communication. Communication, And sure. more awareness of the problems with heat, mm-hmm. I think, is definitely out there more because heat indices, no one knew what that was, mm-hmm. and now people do. They are yes, educated to right. that. And the real, of course, the AccuWeather Real Real Feel, feel AccuWeather Real Feel. Which is even more advanced uh, than, than the heat index, for right, sure. Right, Yeah, so I think we have more ability to get that messaging. Like, it's, you know, it, yes, the thermometer will say it's, you know, X. However, it's going to feel like why because of the other factors involved here. So this is pretty serious stuff. you got to really take precaution. Right. Like uh, even this most recent heat wave, I thought it was great. Like Philadelphia's mayor, New York's mayor, they, they declared uh, heat emergencies for mm-hmm. their cities, mm-hmm. had all these cooling centers because you think anyone, especially it would affect the poorer residents mm-hmm. even more so that maybe don't have access to air conditioning. So, you know, even municipalities knowing better how to handle things like that. Yeah, you think, I mean, our bodies are amazing machines, but they only have so much ability to cool themselves. I mean, there's only so much that a body can do, and you need external help, uh, i.e. air conditioners and cooling centers and so forth. Thanks so much, Dave. Always great talking to you. My pleasure. Dave's always a wealth of information. <laughs> you know, that's why we always, always have him back in here. Always love having him in the studio. Absolutely. Right. And, you know, I thought it was interesting because we talk about different weather events. And according to NOAA, heat waves, like, they might be less exciting than some other things, like, are not as dramatic as disasters like tornadoes, hurricanes, or flooding. Or right. Even, even, like, thunderstorms. Mm-hmm. But heat waves kill more people in the United States than all other weather-related disasters combined. 
I'm not going to say I'm 100% surprised because when you look at those numbers, when we first kicked off the show today, saying between 4,800 and almost 18,000 deaths attributed to the heat during that heat wave, I kind of believe that. Right, right, because there's a lot of heat-related illness. So uh, we appreciate Dave talking to us today. We hope you'll join us back here next week when a brand-new podcast drops. And before we get out of here for this week, we're talking about heat waves. Here are some tips about how you can stay cool during a heat wave with AccuWeather Ready. Heat waves are happening more and more frequently, and preparedness is more and more important to our safety. The main risks posed by a heat wave are not having enough water, dehydration, heat exhaustion, and heat stroke and overheating which can make symptoms worse for people who already have problems with their heart or breathing. In general, you can address a heat wave on three levels. First, be prepared. Be prepared by learning in advance what you can about how to handle a heat wave. Do things like cleaning air conditioner filters, install cool lighting, and repair doors and windows. Second, be aware. Pay attention to weather forecasts and know when a heat wave is forecasted. And third, be proactive. Act when a heat wave actually happens. What are some ways to be proactive? Close blinds that are exposed to the sun during the day and open them at night if the temperature has dropped. Stay out of the sun from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. Wear light, loose-fitting cotton clothes. Drink plenty of fluids to stay hydrated. Use fans for cooling and use microwaves to cook instead of ovens. Turn off electronics that may be hot. If you do have to go out, use sunscreen, wear a hat or light scarf, and walk in the shade when possible. For more safety and preparedness tips, go to AccuWeather.com ready. For AccuWeather, I'm Holly Holdren. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to AccuWeather's Everything Under the Sun, giving you the stories behind the weather and so much more. New episodes every Thursday. Just search for AccuWeather on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or visit AccuWeather.com slash podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.